All right, if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. We're going to look at this one verse here. And uh, we're starting this series talking about our church, talking about the foundation of our church, which goes well on Thursday, I mean on Wednesday nights as well, as we are going through First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, talking about church as well. Um, but for the next five weeks, I wanted to take the time to go back to our basics. And if you have been around for a while in this church, you'll realize this is a pretty key verse for our church. And um, just wanted to talk about a little bit, talk about our mission, and uh, also talk about our core values as a church, connect, grow, uh, serve, and reach, which we'll be doing those over the next four weeks. Um, but this morning, I just want to take a little time to take a look at Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 18. And to set the setting, Jesus was out teaching the multitudes, and then he decided to take his disciples up to Caesarea Philippi, uh, which is a place up into the mountains, and he, as he would normally do or usually do. And he looked at him to ask him a question. He asked him two questions. The first question he asked him was, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? And so they said, yeah, you, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a crazy rogue prophet. And, and, and as you look to that question, you think about the world. When you ask that question today, we would get some of the same similar answers. Some people would say Jesus was a good guy or Jesus was a great teacher. Or Jesus was a prophet. But, but it doesn't really matter what the world says. The next question is the most important question. Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? To his disciples, to those who say they were committing their life to Christ, who do you say that I am? And one of the uh, disciples named Peter, one of my favorite, um, probably because they said he was a, a large guy. He was an outgoing guy. He was a guy who would sit down and probably eat, uh, you know, fried chicken with you or something. Uh, he was kind of an a, a outgoing guy, always speaking out. And he said, thou art Christ, the son of the living God. Now think about this. Peter was there and, and immediately when Christ said, who do you say that I am? He immediately burst forth. Thou art Christ, the son of the living God, in which Christ said, you are correct. But flesh and blood did not tell you that, Peter. That was the, that was the spirit of God who told you that. And that was the truth of God. And when you think about it, that's the question we must all ask. Who do you say that I am? And on the heels of Peter answering, thou art Christ, the son of the living God, comes Matthew 16, verse 18. And this is the verse we read. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. That's the first mention of church in the Bible. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So I want to give you a couple things about the church, the foundation of the church. First and foremost, the foundation of the church. And I say to you, you are Peter and on this rock. Now, when you look at this in English, it's on a flat page. It doesn't look like there's much of a distinction. But as some of you know, or most of you know, that the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And a lot of times in the English language, it doesn't get translated uh, from the Greek language, the emphasis of what was trying to be said here. And so this is uh, something that we really need to understand in the Greek language so we can form the real theology or true theology um, about uh, the church. And here, when he looks at Peter, he says, you are Peter Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. That's the Greek word. And that word means a little stone or a little rock, a chip off of a large rock. Then he says, upon this rock, Petra, P-E-T-R-A. That's the Greek word for a huge foundational stone. 
Matter of fact, that's a city, a name of a city that has a huge cliff and a huge rock. And people would look at it and say, look at that enormous rock or this huge foundational piece of, of, of immovable object. And you say, well, what's the difference? Well, Petra, small stone, Petra, large, huge foundational rock. And the difference is clear. What Jesus was proclaiming here was that the foundation of the church was not a man, Petros, but it was a huge foundational rock. It was the confession of that man. The confession that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God. That was the rock. That confession of Peter, of him confessing Christ as the living God is the foundation in which the church is laid. So when you talk about members of a church, you talk about uh, people who are part of a church, these are people or these are people like you and me from that point forward that has confessed Jesus Christ as the son of the living God. And that's what uh, Jesus is saying here. Upon this confession, I will build my church. First Corinthians 311. It's uh, all throughout the Bible. For no other foundation can anyone lay other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Acts four eleven through 12. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders. Talking about the Jewish believers at this time, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. First Peter 2, 4 through 6, out of Peter's own words, he says, coming to him, talking about Jesus as a living stone, talking about Petra, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious you also as living stones, Petras, smaller stones, stones off of a huge foundational rock. You're being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's also contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame so as you read it and you see it it's foundational it's important to remember the foundation of a building is the most important part of anything if the foundation is not correct then the rest of the building will never be right and for us to realize when it comes to the scripture here today that we realize as a church number one the foundation must be jesus christ and you say, well, what are some foundations that people build uh, their, their church upon? Well, some people build it upon a man. Some people build it upon a personality or a, uh, you know, a part of their pastor or some uh, great preacher or teacher or orator. And the whole church focuses on one person or one man. This happened a lot earlier in the, in the church history where uh, when televangelists became popular, I could name several of them for you. And when they fell, a lot of believers fell with them. Not because they were believing in Jesus Christ, but because they were believing in a man. They were believing in a person. Some people believe in tradition. They believe that a church with a reputation of, a, of another church or that if it's a, a convention or a Southern Baptist uh, or if they are Methodist or they're Presbyterian, that's the foundation of the church. Uh, some people believe it's the offering or money. As long as it has money, it has influence, it has power. All those things are false foundations. If you build anything in the church off of any foundation other than Jesus Christ, other than the rock, it's a false foundation. And when we come to our church and we come to this church, we must make sure that it's founded not upon a man, but founded upon the rock, Jesus Christ.
That's why we named our church Petra. Some of you were probably wondering about that. What does that really mean? That's the Greek word for the huge foundational rock. That if this church is ever going to be anything, it's going to be about Jesus Christ. That there's no man, no person, no uh, denomination that built this church. It's Christ. He is the foundation. He is the rock. And, you know, for us, if we look at this even in our own life, it's, uh, it's important to make Jesus the foundation of your life as well. In your salvation, if you are trusting in anything other than Petra, anything other than the confession of who Jesus Christ is, then you have the wrong foundation. You don't need to join a church. You don't need to be a better person. You don't need to sign a card or walk an aisle. You need to put Jesus at the center of your heart. That's what you need to do. For your life, if you build anything else other than, uh, other than a foundation off of Jesus Christ, then your whole life will come to, to, to crash, to a crashing end. It is Christ and Him alone. Not only that, Christ is the great foundation for your home. Think about this. If you want a great marriage, you better found your uh, you better put your marriage upon the rock of Jesus Christ. If you want good kids, you better teach them about Jesus Christ. By the way, time flies so much, doesn't it? Uh, you know, you look at your kids; they grow up so fast, and yet when they're young. And for us as parents, I know you're busy, and I know I'm busy. But let's be sure that we're pouring into them the truth of who Jesus Christ really is. Because when they leave, that's what they need to know. They need to know what's going to carry them through the rest of their life. And it's the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so us as parents, let's pour all that we have into them. Influence them as much as we can uh, for the rock or for Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of the church. Not only the foundation of the church, but he's the builder of the church. This is the one I really like. Jesus moves on. He says, not only in my foundation church, but he says, upon this rock, I will build. He's the divine, uh, he's the divine founder and he's the divine builder. You think about it. There's no uh, perhaps or maybe about it. Jesus says, I will build. That's confidence. And literally in the Greek, it means I'm actively building even now. That God is always at work building his kingdom. Jesus Christ is the divine builder of the church. And for us, sometimes we, we, we miss this. Sometimes we feel like the pressure's on us to build a church. Like we gotta have a good enough show, or we gotta have a good enough pastor, we gotta have a good enough uh, facility, we gotta have all these things because if we want our church to grow, these are things that makes our church grow. And listen, there's nothing wrong with excellence, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do things well, but at the end of the day, It's Jesus Christ who builds the church. He's the one who calls. He's the one who carries. He's the one who brings people to the church. And most of the time we miss it because we try to build the church ourselves. And we try our our best to do it. But we must really, truly believe that Jesus is the builder of the church. You don't need the latest, greatest program. You don't need a program. You don't need uh, all these other things to grow. Some people believe the church should be built by education. The smarter the pastor is. The bigger the church is going to be, we're in trouble, by the way, if you, if you believe that. Some people believe by fashion or coolness, the cooler the pastor is, we're in trouble again. I don't check that box either. Um, some of you come looking for a great a rock star and you end up with Elmer Fudd. Here I am, all right? That's the way it is. But I know, and you know, that it doesn't matter how you build a crowd. Anyone can build a crowd. You can have a show, you can have uh, great things, and it could get a lot of people here. But if it's not Christ who's building the church, what good is it? He is the foundation, and He is the builder. He is the one who's calling people to our church. That's why at our church, we don't, we don't like gimmicks. 
We don't like you to sign a card or we don't like you to sign up for this or pressure you into this or ask you to do this because we believe it's Christ who builds the church. And let me tell you, when God calls you somewhere, he calls you there, period. It doesn't matter what it's like when he calls you. It's not a crowd. It's a church. You know that it is God who's called you and he's building the church. And I believe God has called many of us together. And I believe he can call you to to any church he wants to. He is the divine founder and he's the divine builder. And he is also the divine owner of the church. You say, what gives Jesus the right to make the calls? Here it is. Look at verse 18. I will build my church. But then he also says, my church. It's possessive. The reason why he gets to call the shots is because he paid the price for the church. Jesus owns the church because he purchased it with his blood. He purchased it with his payment that he put on the cross. He paid for it, not with money and not with good techniques and not with a a, a good show, but he paid for it when he went to the cross of Calvary. When we come to church, we realize that the payment that was paid for you and for me through Jesus Christ, that he gave himself, he purchased the church with his own blood. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. He owns the church. He's the owner of the church. He owns it because he was the only one who paid the price for it and no one else could shed his blood for it. And Jesus laid down his life and he, it is his church. It is his church to, to rule, to own, and to, to direct because he is the foundation. He's the builder and he's the owner. And listen, that's why when you come to church, that's why you're going to hear about the cross. We like to talk about the cross. We like to talk about the sacrifice that Jesus made. And you know why? One reason is because when we think about what we sacrifice, it pales in comparison to what Jesus Christ sacrificed for the church. Listen, you might say, well, I got to get up earlier. I got to come twice on Sunday morning. I got to go on Wednesday nights. Listen, all that is nothing compared to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for the church. Listen, uh, Dr. Lindsay at First Baptist Church Jacksonville used to say that it is your reasonable service to serve the Lord. You know why it's reasonable? Because he said anything that you do pales in comparison to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for you. And then when we start thinking about how, how much we sacrifice, we need to start thinking about how much Christ sacrificed for the church and how much he gave for the church and he gave it all for the church and we look to what he has given and we realize he is the builder he is the sustainer he's the owner how can we go against that how can we tell him we're not going to be called we're not going to serve we're not going to read our bible we're not going to pray we're not going to do what he calls us to do he is the foundation he is the builder he's the owner and he's the sustainer look what it says in the last part of that verse he says and the gates of hades shall not prevail against it He's closing out his verse. He says, yeah, even the gates of Hades. Today, it would be a word we'd use for hell. Hades was known at that time as the abode of the dead. It was a place where all those who rejected God and opposed God was gathered. Uh, Hades was not a good place. It was full of haters and murderers and blasphemers and uh, totally pe- all the people who opposed God. And he was saying, listen, no one in Hades was a fan of God. They all opposed him. They all stood against it. But guess what? Not even all them and even the devil himself could stop the work of the church because it is Christ who sustains the church. I will build my church, he says. And not even the gates of Hades shall prevail against it. You think about all the things that you have to face and all the things you go against. We can have confidence that they will not prevail. They will not overcome. That we are part of a kingdom and a part of a church that is victorious because of what Christ has done. And not even the devil, the death, or hell itself will prevail against the church. 
Man, that's good news. That is really good news for us. And you think about over 2,000 years, a church has had problems and it's wandered. But listen, there's still a group of people who believe in Jesus Christ and a true church that marches across this world and still serves God and still believes in the message of Jesus Christ and still are sold out for his name. And you think about it, he is the sustainer of the church. Now just think about even our church. Guys, many know that for me, I, I wouldn't grow up being a pastor. I graduated uh, from, with a business degree from school, and I came back and started a business. I went to First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, and uh, that's where I met Aaron, my wife, uh, almost 22 years ago, or 21 years ago uh, since we've been married. I think we met almost 22 years ago. Uh, and uh, from the first day, took her a couple months chasing after me, but finally I gave in and said that I would, I would go on a date with her, at least to humor her, just to, you know, let her feel like she could be cool, but uh, anyhow, she, she won my heart. That's a joke, by the way. Anybody who sees my heart knows that I'm married up, and uh, it's a sorry man who can't, by the way, but anyhow, I, uh, I, God put us together, and uh, we, we got married, and we had a child, and we were serving at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville. I was serving wherever I could serve and do whatever I could serve, and uh, worked our way up to where I was a Sunday school teacher and just teaching God's Word, and everything was doing uh, fine. And then God called me into the ministry. I was like, why would you call me into the ministry now? Like, I'm married. We built our house. We have a child. So I went, got busy um, teaching, uh, got busy going to seminary, trying to figure out what I could do or what I could learn, and uh, got a master's degree from Liberty University uh, being through seminary. And uh, when I got done with a master's degree, I had a chance to go to the Southern Baptist Convention, which we are part of the Southern Baptist Convention as well. And uh, they said, well, we could put you around and do some supply pulpit preaching and stuff. And so went to one church, started preaching there, preached a couple times. And then soon they called me and said, well, we're going to shut down our church. We don't need you anymore. I thought, wow, pretty impressive to shut down a church after a couple, just a couple sermons. Uh, that's really impressive. I was really knocking it out of the park, you know. And uh, just wondering how God's had his call in my life and just going through that process saying, God, I know you got a plan and then a couple of months later, after going through the Southern Baptist Convention, they have a, a workshop where you can go through there and take some assessment tests. They say, well, you ever thought about being a church planter? And I thought, what in the world's a church planter? You know what I mean? Like, what do you do, planting churches out there? I, I didn't have any clue what it was, um, but I studied it and looked at it, went through their assessment. They said, well, would you consider uh, planting a church in St. John's County? I was like, Wow. That's exactly where I live, St. John's County. That's where I grew up. I said, I know St. John's County. So, well, why don't you start, see if you can get something going there. So we met at the, uh, at the uh, uh, country club uh, for just a quick um, Easter outreach thing. A couple people came. We said, well, let's come back. Let's do a Bible study. Um, at the, uh, so we moved over from there to St. John's Golf Country Club. At that time, they had a, a um, clubhouse there. And so we started meeting there in the mornings. We had several people who come there. And uh, when my niece came and visited us from Hilliard one time, she said, you guys have the coolest church ever. And I was like, really? She goes, yeah, you got a pool and you got a slide and you got, you got a workout room. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I remember those days. We had to turn the chairs around so we wouldn't be looking at the people in the swimming pool and the slides and all that stuff. And uh, anyhow, shortly after that, we, we built our little build-out that we have for our building over there off of County Road 210, and God had worked through it, and he, he had, you know, through the time of the process, and now here we are here to get this church built and to um, have a place to be able to come in this community, and through it all, there's no question 
You can't say that Jesus Christ wasn't faithful. He was faithful every step of the way. In my own personal life and just pursuing God's call in my life, I could say he was faithful every step of the way. Is it easy? No. Is it costly? Yes. But is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. It's worth to know that you're in the will of God and you're serving God and to to go after something you know will never fade and never go away. Because when you do the work of the kingdom of God, it's for eternal things. It's not for temporary things. I look at people in this world that throw away their lives for the trinkets of this world. You know, I, I mean, my kids, they, they used to love to go to the fair. They loved the games and I loved the corn dogs. So it made a good, it made, it made a good, uh, it made a good combination. And uh, so we'd go there and, you know, you'd spend 20 or $30 winning a, a prize that was worthless, basically worth a couple bucks. And without fail, we'd always win exactly what they wanted. But by the time we got home, it was broke or the stuffing was ripped out of it, or something was wrong with it. And you realize that you spent all that money and time on some little trinket that wasn't even worth anything. And, you know, that's what people do in the real world. They, they put their life and they put their efforts and they put their whole trust in things that are just trinkets of this world. Of things that are passing by, things that are going to come and go, things that will fall one day. And yet, for us as Christians, we gotta be, we gotta be wiser than that. We, we gotta realize that the kingdom of God and His work is more important than anything else in our life. That we need to follow the will of God and we need to be under the process of becoming a disciple of Him. That's why our church, that we believe our mission statement is to bring glory to God by becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. That's it. By bringing glory to God by becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. And that works its way out because we've identified these things in the Bible. And we believe if you're connecting in God and you are growing in God and you are serving God and you are reaching God. That's our four core values. It's not just a specific checklist. It's a process. That wherever you are in your walk with Christ that you should be trying to do these four things. You should be trying to connect with God. You should be trying to grow in your in, in God. You should serve God and you should reach other people for the gospel of Christ. That's what we believe. A fully mature disciple of Christ. And I don't know where you're at in your journey with God, but you could fit into that process one of, of any of those processes in your life. And for us as a church, that's why we exist. And that's the way we structure everything we have in our church. We want you to connect with God and worship. That's why we come to worship every Sunday. That's why we offer worship on Wednesday nights because we want you to come and bring value to the name of God by putting him first in your life. It focuses us back on God. You go out into the world and you get off base and you get, you get out, of, out, of, out of line. You come back to church and say, yes, it's about Christ. It's about him. It's about God. And you recenter your life. You connect with God again in worship. And we also come and grow in God's word. Every time you come to hear a scripture or a sermon, you're going to hear from the Bible. Every time we teach our kids or we teach the youth, it comes from the Bible. We have no other curriculum other than God's word. That is what we want to teach. That is where we want, we believe that you grow as a Christian and we want you to serve. Every person has been given a gift. God says you get one gift, at least one. Some got more than one, but everyone has at least one gift. And in your life, you are to find out what that gift is, and you are to use it for the kingdom of God, because one day, he says, we're just a steward of it. And we'll give an account for our gift that God has given you and for me for the kingdom of God. And then we must reach. God puts us in places, and as we go, to reach other people for Christ. I was mentioning this in the early service. And it's so true in my neighborhood, directly across the street from me. Her husband passed away this year. He was in his early 60s. My neighbor right beside me, her husband passed away, and he was in his late 50s. 
And just now this week, the lady uh, directly diagonal from me, her husband just passed away from COVID. Um, and he's in his early 60s as well. Three people right there in my neighborhood. And, and if you think that God has put me there in my neighborhood because it's a good neighborhood or it's a nice home or it's good things, you're crazy. God put me in that neighborhood to minister, to reach out as I'm going, even in my own neighborhood. I know it's hard. I know it's tough because sometimes you're out in the yard and they come over and you're like, oh, no, I just got to get this done and get back inside because I got to get ready for work tomorrow. And sometimes it might cost you a little time and cost you a little effort, just like at work. God has put people in your work for you to share Christ with, not just to get to know them or be friends with them, but for the purpose of reaching them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, for to be able to tell them about what Christ has done for them. God has put you in certain families to do that, certain neighborhoods, certain jobs, and the scripture and the command literally is as you are going, as you live your life. You are to stay on mission, making disciples for Christ. That's what reach is. And so we believe as a, as a church that we want you to be connected. We want you growing. We want you serving. We want you reaching. If you do that, you become more like Christ every single day. And as when we come together and we become more and more like Christ, and I could give you testimony after testimony of people who has, who has followed that process and been a part of that process and how God has changed their life and has made them be more like Jesus Christ every year of their life. That's the goal you should want for your life. That's the goal we have for this church. And when it all begins when we put Christ first in our life. I said this before, when you put on a shirt, if you miss, miss the first button, the rest of the buttons never line up right. If you get the first button right, guess what happens? All the other buttons line up right. And it's with Christ. If you get him first in your life and you put him in the proper place of your life, everything else will line up. And just like this church, if we keep Christ first, if we make sure that every time somebody comes to this church, they hear about Jesus Christ. They don't hear about a religion. They don't hear about a pastor. They don't hear about a denomination. They hear about Jesus Christ as the foundation of their salvation. That's what we need to keep them completely and wholly the foundation of our church. Let me tell you, that will grow. God will grow our church, and it's up to him. And we just be faithful to connect, grow, serve, and reach. And I look forward to the rest of this next four weeks. I'm going to take each one of those and break them out for you. We're going to talk about connecting, growing, serving, and reaching in the next four weeks. But until then, I want to go back to the original question that Christ asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? If Christ was to look at you this morning and ask you that question, how would you respond? If he says, who do you say that I am? Would you say that he was a leader of a church? Would you say he was a leader of a denomination? Would you say that he was a leader of this? Or would you, like Peter, say he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is my Savior and my Lord. That's the answer that God wants from us today. Let's pray together this morning.